Anybody else want to try to follow that? <laughs> Beautiful job, sis. Awesome. Thank you for your obedience to write that song and sing it. And I just and I just retitled my sermon Overwhelming Mercy. Overwhelming Mercy. I'm going to be talking to you today about the love of God. As many of you know, if I didn't make it clear last time, I am not a pastor. I am not a preacher. Uh, my dad is Brother George Marty Brock, and uh, I'm a friend of Rob's, and I might not be long if he keeps asking me to come preach. <laughs> but no, I really am. I'm glad to be here with you today. But I do think I know why I'm here. Um, why Rob called me is, um, have you guys heard about Rob's robotic preacher? No? No? Nobody's heard about Rob's robotic preacher. Okay, I didn't figure he had told you. So, they're making these robotic preachers now, and basically, if the pastor's absent, you just put the robot up here. They're really easy to operate. You say hallelujah to have it start, and when, and when it's time to close, you say amen. Hallelujah makes it start. Amen makes it stop, and it's just real easy to operate. And man, Rob... You know, how many of you know Rob's about efficiency around here? He likes efficiency, right? And so Rob invested in one. And, man, this thing came in a few weeks ago, and it came through FedEx or UPS, and, man, he tore into the box. And uh, he skimmed. I repeat, he skimmed the instructions at best. Um, but he kind of saw where the nuts and bolts went. So, okay, hallelujah, just started. I mean, kind of figured out how to operate it real briefly. And he tore into it, and he started putting this thing together. He got it all put together. He spent hours and hours, but he finally got it all put together. And he called the kids, called all his kids, all his family, his mom and dad, and said, come over, I want you to hear the robot preacher's first sermon. So they all went over. And uh, Trenton said, Dad, that's cool. I like the robot preacher, but how do you make it start? And Rob kind of he thought, he said, um, I can't quite remember. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hallelujah. And the robot preacher took off preaching, and he was doing a great job. I mean, it was a beautiful sermon. It went on for about an hour, and uh, Sis was getting a little anxious, and she looked down at her clock. She said, Dad, don't you, it's kind of been an hour. Don't you think it's kind of time to wrap it up? And Man, Rob had a puzzled look on his face, and he said, Yeah, but I can't remember how to stop it. And so he said, Well, hallelujah. I didn't stop it. So it kept preaching, it kept preaching, and he started saying other words, stop, cease, and it kept preaching, it kept preaching. The whole house began to panic. They were trying to find a button on the robotic preacher to stop it, and they were saying all kinds of words. And finally, out of desperation, Rob hit his knees and he said, dear Lord, help this robot preacher stop. In Jesus' name I pray. And it stopped preaching. And Rob hopped up, and he clapped his hands and lifted to heaven, and he said, Hallelujah! <laughs> so I think that's why I'm here. I think the robot preacher is probably in the scrapyard this morning. So that's why I'm here. But I am grateful to be here, and I appreciate the invite. Um, and again, I'm going to be talking to you about overwhelming mercy. And I hope this is going to be... The longest short sermon you've ever heard. The longest short sermon you've ever heard. I see some puzzled looks. You stay with me till the end, and we'll get there. 
I'm going to be talking to you today about overwhelming mercy. We're going to be talking about the who, why, the when, where, the how, and the what of God's love. Let's start in the, by the who. So who is the loving one? Who is the giver of love? Man, we drove in this morning into a beautiful, beautiful sunrise. I mean, there was a palette, there was a uh, palette of a sky there, and God just made a masterpiece of it. I mean, all kinds of beautiful clouds and colors and textures. It was just a beautiful, beautiful sunrise. And I thought to myself, the God that made that is the God that loves us. And we drove through the hills coming from Tahlequah back down here, and man, the foliage is just beautiful in this country. And I thought to myself, the God that made all those trees is the God that loves us. How many of you here today love the Old Testament? Amen? Amen. Amen. I like the Old Testament for a few reasons, but one of them is because the people in that day would give specific names to God based on how he was moving in their midst. And we can apply a lot of those to our lives today. Oftentimes in our Bible, those words are just translated as Lord or God or something to that effect. But there's specific names that God has, and we can apply those names to what we're going through. So if you're here this morning and you're sick, man, we've got a Lord who heals. His name is Jehovah Rapha. If you're here today and you're hungry or you need provision in your life, we've got a God that provides. His name is Jehovah Jireh. If you're here today and you need forgiveness in your life, we've got a Lord that sanctifies. His name is Jehovah Makadesh. If you're here today and you need safety or security in your life, we've got a God, a Lord that offers peace. His name is Jehovah Shalom. If you need guidance or direction in your life, we have the Lord that's a shepherd. His name is Jehovah Rohi. If you need purity in your life, We've got the Lord, our righteousness. His name is Jehovah Zidkanu. If you need comfort in your life, we have a Lord who saves us. His name is El Rohi. And by the way, if none of your needs fell in that category, what did he say his name was to Moses? Yahweh. You know what that means? I am Lord, today I've got a situation, young people, I've got a situation going on at school. Who is it, Lord, that can help me? He says, Yahweh, I am. Lord, I've got a situation in my occupation at work. I need your help. Who is it that can help me? He says, Yahweh, I am. Lord, I've got a situation in my family. I need a miracle within my family. Who is it that can help me? He says, Yahweh, I am. How many of you are thankful that we have, the, have a God that is the great I am? Amen. But not only do, are we talking about the who, who the giver, of, uh, the giver of love is, but let's talk about the receiver of love. And who is that? Man, that's us. I'm going to start pretty specific and work our way back to a, kind of a general idea of who God loves. But in Titus Chapter number 3, verses 3 and 4. By the way, you don't have to turn anywhere. I'm going to move pretty fast. Um, So um, I encourage you to read your Bibles tomorrow morning and just listen to me this morning. Amen. But Paul in Titus 3, verses 3 through 4, he's writing to his preacher buddy Titus, and he says, For we ourselves were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived. We were serving divers' lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy. We were hateful, and we were hating one another. 
I heard my name called a couple times in there, probably at least. God loves the foolish. He loves the disobedient. He loves the deceived. He loves those that are serving divers' lust and pleasures. He loves those that are living in malice and envy. He loves those that are hateful, and he loves those that are hating one another. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And that's who God loves, the sinners. 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul wrote, This is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. And I began to think about that, and I said, the, the Apostle Paul is the chief sin- He's the worst sinner? And, man, I kind of struggled with that, right? I mean, I knew he had done some terrible things in persecuting Christians prior to his conversion, but many had done some beautiful things after his conversion. And I, I just began to kind of dwell and meditate on the verse and think, the Apostle Paul is the worst sinner? Depending on how you read it, it might even mean the worst sinner that ever was and the worst sinner that ever will be. And I said, surely he's got at least some rivals in that category, right? And so I began to dwell on it, and I think this is what God showed me. He said, Jake, the chief sinner is whoever sin kept Jesus on the cross. So let's say God provided me this tablet got a tablet here. God gives me this tablet. He took me back 2,000 years to the scene at Calvary, and he said, the chief sinner is whoever's sins are keeping Jesus on the cross. You get the chief sinner off the tablet, and I'll pull Jesus down from the cross. There won't be any need for Jesus to die on the cross if you can get the chief sinner off this tablet. So I said, okay, sounds like a deal. So I picked up the tablet. I look at it. There's some names here. Paul, Adolf Hitler, responsible for the deaths of 50 million people. Joseph Stalin, responsible for the deaths of 20 million people. Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma City bomber. And then I see Pastor Rob's name on here. So I go, okay, God, if I get the chief sinner off the tablet, you'll pull Jesus down from the cross, right? Let's start with Paul. He said he was the chief sinner right here. But I look back to the cross, and Jesus is still there. I go, well, let me try Adolf Hitler. He's off the tablet. I look back to the cross, and Jesus is still there. Okay, Joseph Stalin, 20 million people. He's off the tablet. I look back to the cross, and Jesus is still there. Saddam Hussein, Osama bin Laden, Timothy McVeigh, some terrible, terrible terrorists of our day. They're off the tablet. But I look back to the cross, and Jesus is still there. And I think, Pastor Rob, is Pastor Rob the chief sinner? Has he deceived all of us? Okay, Pastor Rob is off. And I look back, and Jesus is still on that cross. And I'm thinking, what kind of deal is this? I said, God, I thought if I got the chief sinner off that tablet, that Jesus would come down from the cross. And he said, I forgot to tell you, use the other side of that tablet. And right there, that's the chief sinner. That guy right there is the chief sinner. It was my sins that kept Jesus on that cross. Had nobody else sinned in all the world, had I been the only man ever born, and I sinned, 
Jesus would have came from glory, came to this earth and died on that cross for my sin. That's the chief sinner. Not only are we talking about the who of God's mercy and God's love, let's talk about the why. We're going to get pretty deep here, amen? Why does God love us? You ready for just a deep intellectual answer? You ready for it? I've got no idea. I have no idea why God loves us. But I'm in good company because the psalmist in Psalm 8 verse 4 said, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what's man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? I'm in good company. The psalmist didn't have any idea either, did he? The closest I can get to explaining it is tucked away in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 8. Three little old words in the last part of that verse. God is love. It's just his nature to love. I can't explain why he loves us. I have no idea. But it is his nature to love us. Amen. That's the why of God's love. So we've talked about who God love, who loves who. God loves us. He loves sinners. Why? Just because. Now let's talk about when and where God loved us. God loved us from his throne, from the foundation of the world. Revelation 13 verse 8 references Jesus as the lamb that was slain. When? From the foundation of the world. Again, this was something that I was trying to wrap my mind around. I thought, now I thought he died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And God showed me something. And again, this may not be exactly how it happened, but I think God was teaching me a principle, the principle about his preordained sacrifice. Again, this might not be exactly how it happened, but God was teaching me a principle, I believe. Let's go back to Genesis 1. It says, on the first day, God created light. So on day one, God created the sun, right? Nope. Wrong. But on day one, there was evening and morning. Huh. On day two, God created the sky or the heavens. There was morning and evening on the second day. And on the third day, God created land or the foundation of the world. And there was evening and morning on that day. And then on the fourth day, that's when God created the two great lights. He created the beautiful moon, and he, and he created the radiant sun. But what happened on one, days one, two, and three? How was there morning and evening on days one, two, and three? Maybe it went something like this. Again, this is a principle. Just maybe God the Son, he walked to the edge of heaven on day one, to look down on the earth to see what his father was going to do. And when he looked over, God created light from him. He created light from God the Son. And as he was creating that light, he began to talk to his son. He said, son, I've got a special creation coming in a few days called man. And he talked to God the Son about the design of man. He's going to be, create, be created after our, our image. Then on day two, and by the way, 
In Revelations 21:23, it says, The city, heaven, has no need of the sun or the moon to light it because the glory of the God did lighten it. And the sun, S-O-N, is the light thereof. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. So day two, same thing. Jesus walked to the edge of heaven. He looked over. See what the Father was up to. And as God was working, he said, Son, I've got a good creation coming in a few days. Talk to me about man. He talked to him about the decisions of man. Son, this creature is going to be a free-willed creature. He can choose sin or he can choose righteousness. See, first day, he talked to him about the design of man. Second day, he talked to him about the decisions of man. Then day three, same thing. Jesus walked to the edge of heaven. He looked down to see what the Father was up to. God began to talk to him. I got a special creation, and he talked to him about the demise of man. Son, if this creature chooses sin, there's going to have to be a sacrifice. There's going to have to be a sacrifice. And God the Son said, I'll be the sacrifice. I'll be slain. And as God was working, the foundation of the earth, land, was made on the third day. Then on the fourth day, that's when God created the S-U-N and the moon. Jesus didn't need to walk to the edge of heaven anymore. He was going to come down here and see it all for himself. Amen. God loved us from his throne, from the foundation of the world. But God also loved us 2,000 years ago on the tree of Calvary. So from the foundation of the world, the plan that the Lamb of God was to be slain was established. On Calvary, it was executed. That plan was executed. And he who knew no sin became sin that we might be the righteousness of God. I think the old hymn says it best, brother. It says, he left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny, it was the lonely hill of Golgotha, there to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, the ocean is dry. There's no stars in the sky, and that little sparrow can't fly. If that isn't love, heaven is a myth. And there's no feeling like this if that isn't love. That is the when and where of God's love for us. We've talked about who God loves us sinners. We've talked about why, just because. We've talked about when and where from the foundation of the world 2,000 years ago on the cross of Calvary. But how does God love us? Love us? He does it in a few different ways. And guys, I'm just going to read a bunch of scripture here. Are you all okay with that? Amen. I can't say it any better in scripture, I promise you. Number one, God saves us. How does he love us? He saves us. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 6. Listen to how powerful this is. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us together and made us to sit together in heavenly places. God quickened us 
with Jesus. He raised us. We're sitting down in heavenly places. God saves us. That's how he loves us. Secondly, God sanctifies us. First Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. It says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after ye have suffered a little while, what's he going to do? He's going to make us perfect. He's going to establish us. He's going to strengthen us. And he's going to settle us. Amen. He's going to make us perfect. He's going to establish us, strengthen us, and settle us. He has called us out to be his people. God sanctifies us and makes us worthy. God saves us. God sanctifies us. How else does he love us? God sustains us. How many of you know that the Bible says that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the Father, Matthew 6, verse 11 says, If ye then, being evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good gifts to those that love him? God sustains us. What we need down here on earth, man, God's just going to take care of his children. Amen. God shows us his love by sustaining us. And then, and then fourthly, God secures us. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39 for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Some other translations I read kind of say it like this. For I am persuaded death can't separate us from God's love and living in this present world can't separate us from God's love. The angels can't and the demons can't. Powers, your fears about today and your worries about tomorrow. Nor the highest mountain, nor the deepest valley, in case he missed anything, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How does God love us? He saves us. He sanctifies us. He sustains us. And he secures us. Amen. I'm about to close. I'm doing, be- I'm doing better than the robot preacher, amen? <laughs> we're going to do, do a reflection on Psalms 136, one of my favorite psalms. I like to call it the unfinished psalm. The unfinished psalm. Now, the psalmist didn't have the whole Bible like we do today. He just had a few stories, right? It couldn't have been possible for him to have the whole Bible due to chronological demands. (laughs) But it seemed like a few stories stuck out to him and were near and dear to his heart. If you read through this psalm, you'll see the phrase, His mercy endureth forever. Another translation says, His love is eternal. His mercy endureth forever. You'll see it at the end of every single verse. 26 verses, you'll see His mercy endureth forever at the end of it. I think one of the verses, or one of the stories in the Bible that was near and dear to his heart that he knew was the story of creation. Again, you don't have to turn there, just listen to God's Word. I'm going to start in uh, verse 5. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for His mercy endureth forever. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endureth forever. 
to him that made the great lights, for his mercy endureth forever, the sun to rule by day, for his mercy endureth forever, the moon and the stars to rule by night, for his mercy endureth forever. But then you keep reading, and it looks like the Exodus story, the story of God's leading his people out of Egypt into the promised land was near and dear to the psalmist's heart. He says, To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, his mercy endureth forever. And brought out Israel from among them, for his mercy endureth forever. With a strong hand and with a stretched out arm, his mercy endureth forever. To him that divided the Red Sea into parts, for his mercy endureth forever. And he made Israel to pass through the midst of it, for his mercy endureth forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and the host in the Red Sea, for his mercy endureth forever. And he goes on there. But I like to call it the unfinished psalm because what would he have written had he had the whole Bible? How would it have gone if he had had the whole Bible? Maybe it goes something like this. And he shut the mouths of the lions in Daniel's den, for his mercy endures forever. And he was the fourth man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for his mercy endures forever. And he sent down fire from heaven on Elijah's altar, for his mercy endures forever. He heals the lepers, for his mercy endures forever. He sights the blind, for his mercy endures forever. He walked on the raging sea, for his mercy endures forever. He came to the earth born of a virgin, for his mercy endures forever. He lived a perfect life, for his mercy endureth forever. He was, he was crucified on a cross for me, for his mercy endureth forever. He was raised from the dead on the third day, for his mercy endureth forever. He comes back riding on the clouds of glory, for his mercy endures forever. But then what if that psalmist hands you the pen? And he says, you tell me about it. You tell me about it. Maybe it goes something like this. God has given me a loving spouse, for his mercy endureth forever. God's given me some great kids and a great family, for his mercy endureth forever. God's given me a great church home. And by the way, you got a great church home. For his mercy endureth forever. God's given me a wonderful job, for his mercy endures forever. But then maybe it gets a little bit more serious. Tell me about it, the psalmist said. Who's given me strength to get through my chemo treatments, for his mercy endures forever. I was on a ventilator last year with COVID. But God got me through it because his mercy endures forever. He delivered me from alcoholism because his mercy endures forever. He delivered me from a drug addiction because his mercy endures forever. He delivered me from a gambling addiction. His mercy endures forever. He restored my marriage. For his mercy endures forever. But maybe it gets even a little bit more serious. Come on now. 
Tell me about it. We had a miscarriage and lost a baby, but God's comforting us. For his mercy endures forever. I have a loved one with dementia, but God's giving us strength. For his mercy endures forever. I had a loved one go to heaven this last year. For his mercy endureth forever. But who through salvation gives me the assurance that I'm going to be right up there with him? For his mercy endureth forever. I'll tell you what, maybe it is the finished psalm. You give that pen back to the psalmist because you can't close it no better than he did. Verse 26. Oh, give thanks unto God. Give thanks unto God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. This was the longest short sermon maybe you've ever heard. I think I've done okay on time. God help us. It's the longest because, but it's the longest sermon you've ever heard because we talked about the who of God's love, and I could go on and on and on about how God, how good God is. I could go on and on and on. You could go on and on and on. We all could go on and on and on about how good God is. We talked about the why of God's love, and I could go on and on and on about how unworthy we are. And how I don't understand God's love. We talked about the when of God's love. And man, he loved us yesterday. He's going to love us tomorrow. He loves us right now. He's going to love us in five seconds. He's going to love us in 70 years. He's going to love us for all eternity. I can name time after time after time after time. And I can't can't even get close to explaining all the wins of when God loves us. We talked about where God loves us. He loves you wherever you're at. North Pole, South Pole, North America, South America, Asia, Africa, Australia. He just loves you wherever you're at. We talked about how, and I could go on and on about how God loves us. We hit on a few there. But how many of you know that the Bible teaches that his compassions, they are new every morning. So we could talk about how the, all the ways he loves us right now and today, but tomorrow we're going to wake up and we can just start right back all over. They're brand new every morning. Maybe the old, the old song says it best. The way I understand it, this song came from an old Jewish poem. Somebody found it, scribbled onto the walls in an insane asylum. In a patient's room. They were cleaning out the room and they found it. This is how it goes. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? 
to write the love of God above, it drained that ocean dry. Nor could that scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. O give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endures forever. If you'd bow with me, please. You'll notice that I left something off. We talked about who, why, when, where, and how. But the final point is what. And that ball is in your court. What are you going to do with God's love? You can either reject it or you can accept it. If you're here this morning and you've never accepted God's love into your life, I encourage you to do it now. It's as simple as saying this prayer. Just repeat it after me if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord. Just say it silently in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm turning from my sin today. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I believe that you came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You died on a cross. And you were raised on the third day. And Lord, I confess you as the Lord of my life. Come into my heart and save me. In Jesus' name. If you said that prayer, I'm going to be right down here up front. Nothing would thrill me more than for you to come forward and share that decision with me. I'd encourage you to do it. But I think maybe there's a second group of people here. And this is a little bit different than what I shared at the other, at Tahlequah. I had a good friend this week have a rough week. You pray for him. Battling substance abuse issues. Battling a bad gambling addiction. Says he's a believer, not believing. But he is battling and battling and battling. Satan's walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may desire, whom he may devour. But you know what my friend needs to do, and maybe it's what you need to do. He just needs to turn around. For the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He ends it by saying, surely goodness and mercy are following you all the days of your life. God's love is right behind you. If you're going in the wrong direction, just turn around and grab a hold of his mercy. Maybe you need to come and make a public rededication of your life, I encourage you to do that. Lord, speak to your people. Help decisions be made for you, whether publicly or privately. In Jesus' name.